So many, many weeks ago, we started a series called Grow, and we did that through uh, the words of the Apostle Paul and talking about the fruits of the Spirit. And our simple premise was this, that as people who are believers, who've trusted Jesus Christ as our Savior, we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us, and there are already things that are there as a result of that. And so these things are trying to grow in us already. So it's not that we have to plant new stuff when it comes to the fruits of the Holy Spirit. They're already there. So our objective then was to stop the things that were hindering that growth, the things that were getting in, that, in the way of being faithful, of things that were getting in the way of being joyous, of things that were getting in the way of uh, the good things that were already in existence. And so today we're going to wrap up with the last two because they really go hand in hand. And so, as today we talk about gentleness and self-control, you may discover that you know people in your life that gentleness and self-control are inseparable. Most people who have self-control are gentle people. Now, when we think of self-control... Well, let's pray first, because we got a lot to talk about today. Jesus, thank you for being in this space with us. We thank you that this is a place that you dwell. And we ask today that you would speak to our hearts in a way that only you can, that you will pull us in your direction. I ask that you would hide me behind the cross of Jesus so that your words are heard and that mine are not, and that you are seen and that I am not, because you desire to change us today. And we ask these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. So we did not do this sermon before Thanksgiving. For obvious reasons. Because some of you, perhaps, um, if you've ever seen the episode of Friends where Joey has Phoebe's maternity pants on, right? And he calls them his Thanksgiving pants, right? So some of you had some Thanksgiving pants on. You went to multiple places and you bellied up. And by the end of the day, you thought, I hate myself, right? And so you, there's very little self-control. And so sometimes we think of self-control, you narrow in on the thing that is your weakness. And so maybe it's your temper. So when you think of self-control, you gravitate towards your struggle with keeping your temper in check. Or it's your tongue, because that is your weapon of choice. And so you wreak havoc with your words. And maybe you're just a pot stirrer. Maybe you just, you know, by the fourth quarter of the Ohio State game yesterday, you were coming out of your skin and rubbing it in somebody's face who had blue and yellow on. Right? So, um, sometimes we think of self-control in specifically the area where we are prone to mess up. You react in a certain way when you get your feelings hurt. When things don't go your way, you don't get what you want, you react in a certain way, and that shines this spotlight on the areas where you struggle with self-control. You tend to act out, speak in a way that, that doesn't have honor in it. And when I've just said that, 
Does that sound gentle to you? No. So, today we will talk about gentleness and self-control because they go hand in hand. So let's talk about gentleness first. And these are again from the words of the Apostle Paul. And he says, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only that which is helpful for building others up. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only things that build each other up. Don't let anything come out of your mouth unless it's helpful. So if that's our criteria, how many words will we use on any given day? Are they cut in half? Let's be honest. If you work in any kind of customer service industry, which all of us do, Every single one of us work in a customer service kind of industry. You deal with people. You have customers, and maybe they don't call themselves customers. You don't call them customers, but you interact with people all the time. So use a lot of words throughout your given day. What if the only, what if you cut out everything that was not helpful? How, what's the percentage of drop in your words used? What if you just cut out the cuss words? <gasps> I know, none of you cuss. Except the ones who volunteer here on Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Sundays. Now, for a while here, when, before we started meeting here, somebody would say something, and they would look at me immediately and say this, this isn't a church yet, right? Yeah, you know, it, it that we we laugh about that, but language among Christians has become too much like the world. In my life, it has. In your life, it has. We spend a lot of time together, and you know it's funny to 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 what to listen to the old lady on the Ellen Show that says, "I love Jesus, but I cuss a little," and we laugh about that. And she was a that was a great interview. If you've if you've not heard that, it's incredibly funny, but. We, we fail to understand the power of our words and how they impact people and, and, and what they feel like when they come out. And so he says, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only words that help build each other up according to their needs, not yours. 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 That may benefit those who listen. Not just the person you're dealing with, but the people who are listening. So, mom and dad, have you figured out that how you talk to your spouse is teaching your kids what kind of spouse to be? So when you talk to dad disrespectfully... What do you think you're teaching your sons and daughters? When you're disrespectful to mom and your kids are listening, what do you think they're teach- you're teaching them? I'll tell you. Are you ready? You're teaching them one of two things. That is exactly the kind of spouse I want to be. 
or I never want to be like that. Let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only that which is helpful for building each other up according to their needs that may benefit those who listen. So now, as you measure your words with everybody in your context, the people that absolutely drive you crazy, the people that sitting around a Thanksgiving table, you go, I'd rather sit with the kids. Because kids are fun. And Uncle Bob has lost his ever-loving mind. Do we have a Bob's in here right now? Any? No? Good. Okay. Um, Matthew eleven twenty-five to 30. Jesus has just talked about a group of people. And he said, you guys are a hot mess. And it... Unless you change, your lives are going to be a train wreck. Now, that's the WBS version, William Bryan Stevens version. Um, And then he says this. I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. All things have been committed to me by my Father, No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Let's stop right there for a second, because I want you to pay attention to how Jesus starts. And He says, God, you took great pleasure in not telling the really smart people as much as you told yourself, as much as you told children about who you are. We've probably all been privileged to be around some really smart people. My college Greek professor was an incredibly smart guy. Incredibly smart guy. And um, a very humble guy. And the way he taught is how I... Is, he figured out how I learned. And he taught me the way I could learn. And so, Dr. Tim Day passed away just recently. And there are still things that I remember from sitting in his Greek class for a couple years about original language. Very, very smart guy. There were smart guys in Jesus' day who did not care who Jesus was. And Jesus says, Father, you took great pleasure in not telling the smart people everything that you told the average folks. That's interesting to me. And so... Jesus says, um, I will reveal myself and the Father to whoever I choose. We don't think God looks like that, do we? We think that it's this big level playing field. But God very clearly chooses to reveal stuff to other people that he does not reveal to me. And I'm so thankful for that. Because I need people, whether they are smart in the world's eyes or less than smart in the world's eyes, that God reveals stuff to man, be a student, be a learner, listen to people, regardless of their station, regardless of whether they stand on a stage, because God is always revealing himself to people. Then Jesus goes on to make one of my favorite statements that ever comes out of his mouth. And this is what he says. 
Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle, I am humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come to me all, 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 all. Not the clean people, not the smart people, not the religious people, not the people who have all together, not the people who have it all figured out, not the people who have never messed up or are trying to make other people think they've never messed up. Come to me, all of you who are weighed down by your load of sin, and I will give you rest. Now there's some words that I've, that I've highlighted, and you can see those. He says, come... Take, learn, find. Come, take, learn, and find. You cannot switch those around and grow spiritually. You will never ever find if you put find first. You will only find when you have taken when you have learned and when you have come to Jesus he intentionally says come to me first because all the religion that you can stomach will never tell you and never do for you what I want to do for you he says come to me all who are who all who are who are load down laden down buried underneath your load of sin learn from me Find rest for your souls. I'm the only one that can give you rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This isn't how we think of burdens. This is, do you know what a yoke is? I mean, for some of you, you are of a, a geographical area that you know what a yoke is and what a yoke does. There's nothing in my mind's eye that says a yoke is a great thing. It's the thing you put around the neck and the shoulders of an animal to control them. So that they go where you want them to go. And they are not light. They're incredibly heavy. Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So there's a conflict that naturally arises. I have to change how I think about what God is trying to do in my life. Because some of you grew up in a religious system where it was just a bunch of rules and it was a lot of burden, it was a lot of pressure, and if you don't look right, be right, smell right, then God really doesn't like you. And so when Jesus says, "Um, you're learning the wrong stuff, stop that. Come to me, learn from me, Take my yoke upon you, because it's light and easy. That is not how most of us were raised. It's just not. And maybe you weren't raised in any kind of religion at all, and this is the only place you've ever known, this is the only time you've ever heard preaching from the Bible, and you go, that's, all, that's the only Jesus I know. Man, I am so glad to hear you say that. Because you have so much less baggage than most of us. You have so much religious, less religious baggage than many of the people around you. 
Jesus says, come, take, learn, and find. The idea, even the word of being gentle, sounds weak. It just does. Our culture doesn't necessarily encourage that. It doesn't encourage being gentle. What does our culture encourage? You need to stand up. You need to put somebody in their place. They cut, they cut in front of you in line. Anybody go shopping? <coughs> um, Friday? Yeah. Everybody was nice and polite. Everybody let you cut, get in front of them. Nobody was rude. Now, I did go out. Now, I went to Mecca, which we all know is Home Depot. And, um, and to be quite honest, I know some of you like Lowe's, wherever you go, I don't care. Um, this has just happened to be the place I ended up. And I'm in that place a lot. There were too many tourists in Home Depot on Friday morning. Right? So, and I know people there, and I know the employees there. And so th- there's an older gentleman. He's, he's a veteran. He works in plumbing. If you've ever been in Home Depot in Florence, almost any time of day, you've met Bob. Bob shuffles his feet like this. You can hear him five aisles away. Bob is brilliant. Bob is absolutely brilliant. Knows He has forgotten more stuff about plumbing than I will ever, ever know. And so Bob sees me in an aisle, and I'm looking for something very specific, not in plumbing. But Bob's just wandering the store because that's Bob. And so Bob finds me, and he's like, Will, what can I help you with? And I said, well, I usually use this brand of tools, but I'm buying something for somebody else, and so what do you think? And so he educates me. A lot more education than I had time for. (laughs) God love Bob. And so um, I get this education, and... People are just walking by us, wandering around, looking at stuff. They have no idea. They're in my store, and they're in my way. I'll be honest with you. If you were in Home Depot during that time, come back another day. You're just a tourist in my world. And as I watch all of the chaos that goes on on Friday, and that was the only really store I was in, um, it, the regulars look at life differently than the tourists. And you need to understand that in your life, there's always going to be the tourists. They're just coming through. You're going to interact with them quietly and quickly and move on and maybe never see them again. But all those people, well, they come away thinking, wow, I, I, that interaction with Matt was really, really good. They never, never knew Matt's name. But that was the impression they were left with. That, wow, that was a nice guy in a situation where nobody was nice. And so gentleness sometimes in our culture does not really um, get a lot of airtime. To be gentle. So as we get to self-control, this will probably be the hot topic. Because nobody likes to be told no, and nobody really likes to tell themselves no. This is why we did not talk about this last week. Because you sat at at least one Thanksgiving table and loaded up, right? Knowing you had other places to go. But hey, I might be in a car wreck before I get there. I'm going to make it count now. And so, whether we talk about 
how we look at food or how we look at shopping or how we look at relationships, how we deal with our temper, how we deal with our spouses, our children. Self-control plays such a huge part. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12, this is the Apostle Paul. And he says, everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Do you know that verse was in the Bible? Man, I can do anything. That doesn't mean I should. Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Wisdom knows the difference. And so, when all I think about is what's permissible, then I become enslaved. I can say anything I want. I can do anything I want. Then you open yourself up to being enslaved, to being mastered by things. Now, we can do a show of hands, which we absolutely will not do. How many of you are mastered by cookies? Look, I'm just going to eat four pounds. I'm just going to have one drink. One turns into two, two turns into five. I'm just going to have this one little... And so, you stop telling yourself no. A very, very good friend of mine who I love dearly said, I eat my emotions. And I said, what do you mean by that? I, like, when you're sad? And she said, no, any emotion. I eat. How many of you remember your New Year's resolutions from this year? Right. How long did those last? How long was that discipline a part of your daily thought life? Probably as long as you wanted it to be. Paul says, I can really do anything I want. But if I did, it will not be beneficial to my life. And ultimately, I will be enslaved by that thing. Sin will always take us farther than we are willing to go and will always cost us more than we are willing to pay. Without fail, every time. And at the end of the day, there's nobody else to blame for that. I understand we all have a story about how we were raised or an environment or something that happened to us. But the, the sooner you stop making excuses, the sooner you stop being enslaved and being mastered by other things. I can do everything, but it's not going to help me in my life. So the ability to tell ourselves no, that's what we're talking about. No, I won't act out. No, I won't do that thing. No, I won't look at that. No, I will not go there. No, I will not be proud. Just to tell yourselves no. Now, we do not think of ourselves like children, but we should. 
Because we all have experiences with children who aren't told no. I mean, not our children. Children we see at the mall. Children we see in that, that disease-infested playground at the mall. Right? What, I haven't been there in years. I couldn't tell you what's in the mall or not now. Um, but you know all those... Uh, is it still there? Okay, those big things that the kids climb on and wipe their nose on and all that stuff. And then the next batch of kids come in and they just breed germs and disease and E. coli and all, all the stuff. I have no idea. But that's not going to stop me from talking about it. Um, we see people all the time that even as adults, they don't tell themselves no. Just don't tell themselves no. There's some cute and confusing things we're going to talk about next on the surface. Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 to 12. Paul writes this while he's in jail. In jail. In prison. Now, he doesn't get cable. He's not getting any college education. He's not getting three meals a day. He's in real deal prison that's where he's at when he writes this, okay? I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content. If you want to write anything down, write the words secret of being content. He said, I've learned that secret. And in every situation, in any and every situ- situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I've learned the secret of being content. Now, just so you know, the Apostle Paul started off his life, his career, better than anybody in the New Testament. He had a great education. He was fast-tracked in school. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, very religious guy. He had power and authority. He was top of his class. And then he came to meet Jesus. And all of that fell apart. (coughs) He said, look, I've been in a lot of circumstances. The story of Paul's life has been beaten He was taken outside of a city, thrown rocks at him until they thought he was dead. And in that situation, you and I would have got off and hid. Paul gets up outside of the city where the people of of that city, the citizens, threw rocks at him until they thought he was dead. He gets up, dusts his clothes off, and goes back into the same city to preach the gospel. He gets shipwrecked, snake bit. He's persecuted, he's, uh, his, he's imprisoned, and he says, look, I'm content. If our Wi-Fi signal is not as strong as we think it is, we think we're persecuted. Our electricity, there's a great s- statement that has gone out recently that's it's the stupid thing of, hey, would you live in this cabin out in the woods you know, with no electricity for a month for a million dollars? And then you go without power for three days and you lose your mind. 
He says, I've learned the secret of being content. Did you know that was a secret? It must be. Look at the story of our lives. How easily we're angered. How easily we're frustrated. How easily life falls apart. And we, it's just the end of the world. He says, in all the story of my life, I've learned the secret of being content. So what is the story of Paul's contentment? More than once, Paul says, I have everything I need in Christ Jesus. Not in my job, not in my career, not in the neighborhood I live in, not in my salary, not in my spouse, not in my kids, not in all the books I've written in the Bible. He says, I have everything I need in Christ Jesus. As soon as you stop looking for your needs to be met from everything else, you'll find contentment. You will not find it until you do that. There is no relationship in your entire life that will make you content. There is no dollar amount. There is no bank account. There is no house. There is no car that will make you content. Because every single one of those are temporary. You will never find lifelong contentment in a temporary world. Paul says, God supplies all I need through His riches in Christ Jesus. So the sooner I stop looking at all other people and all other things for my value and my worth and my contentment, I find authentic contentment. Because there are no people that will make you happy. And believe it or not, it is nobody else's job to make you happy. It's impossible. I have learned the secret of being content. Now our very last verse comes from the book of Hebrews. And I believe Paul probably wrote the book of Hebrews. And he says, no discipline seems pleasant at the time. Now I'll be honest with you, I grew up in the 80s. And whenever I read this, I think of Animal House. I'm sorry. Thank you, sir. May I have another? This is a thing I think about every single time. I, don't, I know Jesus isn't happy about that. But no discipline seems pleasant at the time. But it's painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. We're going to talk about some things in this verse, and we're going to close. No discipline seems pleasant at the time. You can't have discipline without disciple. That God's goal in our life is to shape us into the image of Christ and make us a fully committed disciple of Jesus. You're going to have to have discipline to do that. You're going to have to tell yourself no. I've been fooling this microphone all morning. You have to be able to tell yourself no. You have to have some discipline. 
Later on, however, this goes against our immediate gratification culture. He says, discipline yourself so that later on, later on, things change. Later on, life is better. But tell yourself no now. Discipline yourself now. You know why most likely in my life I will never run a marathon? Other than this physique. It's because I'm not going to do the discipline that it takes to get to that day. I'm not going to start off running a mile. I'm not. Now, I'll walk six miles on the golf course carrying a bag, but I'm not going to run unless something is chasing me and you can outrun me. I just will not have that discipline in my life. I'll have other disciplines. He says, look, discipline yourself now so that later on there's a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained, who have been trained, who have been trained, and been trained. Now, the last verse I'm going to spend just a couple minutes on, and we'll close. Therefore, strengthen two parts of your body. Right? Strengthen your feeble arms and your weak knees. Now, I've had surgery on kind of both parts of my body related to those two verses. And some of you have too, and if you haven't had, you probably will soon. And... To have, I remember my knee surgery, and I remember the first time that I stepped off a stage, or I stepped off of a, a platform about this high, and planted the knee that I had surgery on. I remember very clearly, I could take you to that spot today. It happens to be at a house that I built, so we're not going to go there, um, and just show up in their front yard. And, but I remember stepping off without thinking about it, and when my foot hit the ground, I remember the sick feeling in my stomach and going, oh no. Nothing bad happened because I had healed up. I had done the physical therapy. I was disciplined in all of that. But I remember very clearly when that happened, all the blood left my face. Nothing bad, but I had this image of a really bad thing happening. He says, strengthen your weak knees, your feeble arms, your weak knees. Why? Why those two things? Because those two things represent the strength in your life. The ability to walk, the ability to move, the ability to lift things, the ability to do work. And if you've ever been laid up in any way, shape, or form, you know how horrible that feels. That you just can't function. That you can't move, that you can't do. He says, no discipline seems pleasant at the time. But it's painful. That's the nature of discipline. That's the nature of telling yourself no. But in the end, our goals are righteousness and peace. That's what that looks like. That's what that feels like. Imagine how different your life would be today if you had told yourself no five years ago. If you had told yourself no about something ten years ago. If you had just had this much discipline, imagine how different your life would be today. Now, imagine how different your life will be five years from now because you're telling yourself no 
in this moment, at this time. You're saying, no, I, I won't be that way. I won't treat people that way. I won't do that thing. I won't look at that. I won't put those things into my head or into my heart. So five years from now, ten years from now, because you had some discipline, your life looks totally different. Let's pray. Father, help us to be people who run towards discipline, who gravitate towards the opportunity of telling ourselves no, who will truly seek out what's better for other people, regardless of the cost to ourselves, who don't let any unwholesome talk come out of our mouth, but that our focus and our goal is to build each other up, in every context we find ourselves in, according to their needs and not our own. Father, we thank you that in Jesus you modeled that for us. That he always sought not what was just better for the people around him at the time, but was better for us thousands of years later. Father, help us to be people that grow good things in our lives, that get the things out that don't belong so that great things can grow in us. Father, we love you and we thank you for who you are, what you do in our lives, that you'll use us in your service. We ask these things in the powerful and precious name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.